0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Steve Edwards. Well, from Portland. Dan
1: Shapir. Hey, from Tel Aviv. Hopefully, we don't lose any listeners over that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Or panelists.
1: Yeah, no kidding, right? Uh, Yeah,
0: the last episode, you guys just disappeared on us. You know, it was like, air raid sirens, we're out. Yeah, but we're glad Uh, you're safe.
1: Yeah, yes, we are thank you
0: yeah and and there's a there is a time delay we're like five or six episodes ahead so people will be listening to this and going what so yeah just go back and look at what was going on six weeks ago I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and this week we have a special guest and that is Brian Rinaldi
3: Brian do you want to say hi and
0: uh, remind everybody how awesome you are <laughs> hi
3: everybody hello from Orlando where it's it's warm and oh. sunny oh I feel your pain <laughs> <laughs> Is that pain? It sounds nice. Yeah. yeah. It is nice, actually. It's not even, by Florida standards, it's not even hot. It's only in the, like, 80s. Oh, that's so nice. So I really, (laughs) I I have to ask, how often do you go to Disney World? Well, over the past year, not that, not that often, but but actually I just went last weekend. So (laughs) Yeah. uh, yeah, pretty, it's, when you live here, it's very different. You don't, Disney World always seems like just exhausting, right? Like you wake up early and you spend your whole day running to rides to get to maximize your your ticket. And when you live here, it's like, ah, eh, I'll just show up in the afternoon with my season pass and just wander around for a few hours and go home. It's not as stress, it's not a big stressful thing, you know? So funnily enough,
1: when uh, my eldest son was celebrating his bar mitzvah, we actually went on this family trip to the States and we started off with a week's stay in Disney World. And my kids, after even after all these years, because it was a while back, still remember that as one of the best vacations ever. Mm-hmm. And my wife
3: remembers it as hell on earth or something like <laughs> <laughs> that. Sounds, that sounds about right, yeah. It going does get with, hot enough there. Going with kids it can be exhausting. And, and summers here, like, I probably won't be back for a few months because going in the summer is just brutal. Oh yeah. I bet. Yeah, What's my your mom's actually like?
0: going in a few weeks. So, who's going in a few weeks? My mom is with my um, brother and his kids.
3: It'll yeah. it, by then. I mean, it's surprisingly it should be in the '90s already, based on past history. So, it'll be hot. Yeah, hot mm-hmm. and muggy.
0: It's kind of yeah. standard. Good deal. This episode of JavaScript Jabber is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point your GitHub or GitLab repository and let the App Platform do all the heavy lifting. As it has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, and container images, DigitalOcean runs their App Platform on their own infrastructure, so your costs are significantly lower than the other products. Plus, they built this new app platform on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path, so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup. As a listener of JavaScript Jabber, you can get started for free. Better than free, because DigitalOcean is giving you $100 credit when you go to do.co/jabber. Again, go to do.co/jabber to get your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of JavaScript Jabber. All right, well let's let's talk Jamstack. Yeah, you should be saying the Jamstack,
2: or am I We'd mistaken? We be
0: Yeah, so now that's it's Bob Marley it's music queued up. So I remember, like a zillion years ago, we had oh, what's his name, uh, Douglas. Rockford? No. Oh, now I'm gonna have to go look it up. But is it Brian Douglas?
2: Oh, Brian or, Douglas. Yeah, from he yeah. works at GitHub now. Oh yeah, he's, yeah. He's got his own Jamstack podcast. Yeah.
0: Yes, he does. He does. Yeah, he used to work for Netlify. Right. And he right. got on and he was talking about Jamstack. And I was like, don't we do this anyway? Right? It's like, it's JavaScript and APIs and markup <laughs> and that don't we do that anyway? Right. Yeah. And it's it's come so far and evolved so much since then. So yeah, well, it's I mean, not kind of this, yeah, it's not the simple thing anymore. What what are we talking about these days when we say
3: Jamstack? So it's funny that you bring that up be- because my lately my messages forget the jam. Basically. <laughs> Just it's go like, with the peanut Please. butter.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I yeah, almost so, said it.
3: I almost <laughs> said it. <laughs> basically, peanut You know butter. the JavaScript APIs and markup was it, it kind of made sense. I, uh, back in the day now i feel like it, it just adds more confusion to the topic mm-hmm. than than it clarifies just to kind of go back in time right the the term was created by matt Bilman and Net, netlify for a particular mm-hmm. reason because we were i i had even written a book with ray in a while back like working with static sites and it was everything was about static sites and static site generators but we weren't really building static sites i mean these sites, actually pulled in dynamic data and build time they pulled in dynamic data on the client via javascript and so like people had this misperception that what you could build with this was just like developer blogs and and brochureware sites and stuff so that it was very limited so they came up with this term to try and change the perception of what we were building and i think that is proven successful since then right i mean it's grown enormously. But what started to happen was that, that the term didn't entirely make sense. I, I, I'm i not advocating we drop the term, but first of all, JavaScript APIs and markup sounds like just about anything, right? Like almost every site is gonna use some degree of JavaScript APIs and markup. So we have to kind of describe that differently. And secondly, it's Jamstack is not actually a stack either because it's not a prescriptive set of technologies. It's it's a ton of different things. There's like, I always like to say, there's like a thousand ways you can get into the JAMstack and you can do it in using different languages and different tools and hold it. Like every, depending on which path you choose, the process can be entirely different, but it's a it's almost like an architecture or set of methodologies that describe the similarities between those things. So, so even though I'm still using... Jamstack, obviously, as a term, is I say, forget the jam. And yes, it's not a stack either. So, <laughs> so, well, yeah,
1: yeah. well, yeah. Hey, well look, you know, this
3: is this is the JavaScript
1: podcast. And, you know, look at JavaScript, which is has nothing to do with Java and it's not a scripting language anymore. So <laughs> you, yeah. don't find a, you don't find a successful brand, even if it uh, doesn't actually match the the
3: topic or the the subject that it's describing exactly exactly they always say what naming is one of the hardest problems in in computer science right so this is continues to afflict us i guess but the name has obviously caught on we have a whole community kind of built around it i'd say there are some key things to describe what it actually is and but i would preface this by saying there is still some debate particularly this year because things have been changing very quickly New technologies kind of blurring the line of what's Jamstack. So some of this stuff is still open to debate in in some senses because, like, I'll give you an example. Right. So Netlify and kind of pushed by Next.js. Right. Next.js had this thing called incremental static regeneration, right, which is basically a fancy way of saying that you didn't you didn't necessarily like build all your pages prior to deploying it, you built whatever pages you you needed to that are kind of your like most traffic pages. And then you could actually, somebody could hit a page that you hadn't built yet. And would say, Oh, I haven't built this yet. I'm going to show you a, a little kind of preview thing while I go off and I load the content. Then I load the content, show you the page. And from there on everybody else after that would receive the static version of the page.
2: Well, that was sort of the holy grail for a long time was incremental builds with the Jamstack side because otherwise you're rebuilding your entire site every time you have one little change, right? Right. So
3: mm-hmm. yes, and this is where like we are flooded with terminology here. Incremental builds is a slightly different because that's happening on, still happening locally, right? Like so, so that I don't have to rebuild the entire site every time. This one it's happening when uh, when somebody hits your site. Oh, on demand the page. Like yeah, basically on demand page builds. So, so that's sort released- of not
2: Jamstack anymore. Then that's sort of back to where you were, where you're rebuilding, you know, if you're doing a PHP site, then you're hitting your page. <laughs> oh, I got to go to my database and either get it from the cache or, I mean, you get it from the database or from the cache. So now we're sort of, the pendulum seems to be yeah. swinging wildly back and forth all the time. It, it
3: does blur the line because, I mean, so, so just to kind of finish that story, like the Netlify released this distributed persistent rendering proposal, which is essentially same kind of thing. Like you hit a page that page doesn't exist yet we're going to go generate that page and then serve it up to you so that sounds you're to like oh that's server side rendering except that from that point on right the page is actually now in built right like it's built we generated it on demand that one time but everybody else who subsequently sees that page sees the statically built version of that page As opposed, there is not like a server-side rendering going on. So I have to ask, and I'll explain in a second
1: why I have to ask. But I have to ask, would you define this as Jamstack? This type of a behavior? This type of of a behavior. Dynamic generation on demand, first time on demand. And by the way, I could even theoretically take it a step further and say that if there is an outdated version, I'll provide that on the first request, generate the 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 date, the next the updated version of the background and serve that uh, the next time that somebody asks for that so i could theoretically take right. it a step further but, but without going into all these the technicalities this dynamic generation on first request yeah. would that be because I, I was reading your your the intro to your book that well not exactly the intro the chapter of what is gemstack mm-hmm. or what is the gemstack and according to the definition that was given there
3: this is not jamstack i will have to go back and look at my definition that i gave there but i would say that this is this is jamstack we are still generating basically everything is still being pre pre-rendered as we like to say in the case of there's just certain pages are being on the, like basically on-demand pre-rendered this is a solution for like super large sites right like you have hundreds of thousands of pages that build could take a long time right so if you have that many most of those pages aren't necessarily trafficked all the time so i could if it's a if it's a page that doesn't get a lot of traffic i don't build that at the initial build time i build that when when it gets first requested and serve that up to you but but it's still built and that's why like netlify made this distributed persistent rendering proposal because you still get the atomic builds and, and things like that, which which means I can easily roll back and stuff like that. And, I, and so you're not losing like those kind of key benefits of, of the deploying a Jamstack site while you still allow for pages to be rendered on demand. This is a one-time on-demand thing. It doesn't go back and say, oh, this is out of date. I'm gonna go re-render this you can do that you can build that but i would say that's that really starts to move towards a a fully server side rendered application not a jamstack application and that's where like my the whole point of this is it is getting a little bit blurrier those lines between what's what's server side rendered and what's jamstack starts to get a little bit blurrier than it used to be i think for very good reasons these are all amazing technologies that are actually going to benefit developers enormously in the long run, but it it starts to blur that that meaning. So the reason that I
1: said that that this definition was so interesting for for me in this particular scenario Mm -hmm. is that I actually work uh, at Wix. And interestingly enough, Uh, While Wix is not built on any of the quote-unquote standard or gem stack solutions or or implementations that are out there, we actually utilize exactly that flow that you just described. That means that for any page that is suitable for static rendering, which is the vast majority of our pages, of of the pages of the sites that are hosted on the Wix platform, we actually do exactly what you described, that... It's, it's not rendered until it's hit for the first time, but then when it is rendered, it is then pushed into the C, uh, CDN so that from that point on, it's statically served from the CDN and mm. uh, it's not removed from the CDN until the site owner actually, let's say, publishes a new version of the site or changes that page or whatever. Yeah. You're, so, you're basically doing exactly that. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, and, and the to proposal. Be, and to be fa- yeah, and to be fair, we were very much so, like I said, we we are not built on top of any of the standard Gemstack platforms that are out there, mm-hmm. but we definitely were influenced and intentionally so by the Gemstack architecture and approach because it's it's it
3: just an approach that makes so much sense in so many scenarios. Right. And and I would say in many respects, it sounds like, obviously I don't know all the details, but it sounds like you are effectively doing a JAMstack approach, particularly if you align it with this distributed persistent rendering or incre- incremental static re- regeneration stuff. Because, okay, I think in the end that you, my definition also includes a static site generator, but in many ways, it sounds like what you've built is kind of almost like your custom static site generator. So oh, it's, it's not- exactly like, that, it's exactly yeah. that. So, you know, I don't, in terms of my definition, I don't personally think you have to use one of the static site generators out there. Like you don't have to use Gatsby or Next or Hugo or whatever. Many people, I mean, we have like 470 static site generators out there because everybody likes to build their own because it's something you can build on your own. So I think a custom static site generator that you built yourself still ends up falling under kind of the Jamstack umbrella. but. I, I, I'm also personally like to define it somewhat narrowly, but I also like I, I, some people say like, they don't care if you use a static site generator. And I'm like, no, I think static site generator is part of the process. Um, I think you have to deploy to a CDN, which you're doing there. Right. That's part of the process. I think that, yes, yes, you know, the, the CI/CD workflow that we're used to, kind of like the Netlify Vercel workflow where you just push it into a repo and it gets pushed up, This more or less sounds like you have something along those lines. I mean, I think those are critical pieces as well. So, like, honestly, you fit my definition of Jamstack based on what I know. Well, there and we go. Wix is Jamstack. Okay. Sweet. <laughs> Wix is
1: well, well, uh, uh, ish. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, ish is, is the term because because there are definitely there are Poor definitely Dan. pages. No, I'm, on on the contrary, I, I'm actually one of the people who was primarily uh, primarily pushing towards the the gem stack approach at Wix. I'm not the only one, but I was a, a big proponent of it because it, I come very much from a performance side of the of technology. My role at Wix is the performance tech lead. And and one of the main benefits, you know, again, you listed three benefits, which I think, or three or four benefits which of GemStack, which I think are are worth repeating. But one of them is definitely performance, because Mm -hmm. obviously serving up a static content is much faster than serving up, than creating and then serving dynamic content. And also being able to serve from a CDN, which means that you're much closer to to the endpoint also Mm -hmm. results in significant performance improvements and we've seen it because we have we had changed our architecture from not being gemstack or gemstack like to being as gemstack like as is appropriate for us and one of those things was exactly serving content not from our servers as much as possible but from CDN. Hmm. And for example, so I'll take a very concrete example. We have a lot of customers in Australia. Our servers, our data center in the Far East is located in Japan. So if you have to go all the way to the data center, then you have to go all the way from Australia to Japan through all the relevant hops. But if you're deploying it to a CDN, well, the CDN will have uh, its own uh, servers or proxy servers, whatever you want to call them, in Australia. So the content is served via far fewer hops and the result uh, is a di- dramatic improvement in terms of the performance that you see.
3: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. So so yeah you I guess are doing customized jamstack for a version of jamstack that suits Wix. And I think you know what I also feel like like while it's important because JAMstack is more of a architecture or methodology, right? To, to clarify what that definition is. I don't, I don't think we need to be like so rigid. I mean, I think uh, I've written posts about this kind of stuff. Like for instance, using Next.js today, you could actually say, okay, all of most of my site is, is statically generated, but I'm gonna pick these routes because these couple routes actually need to be server-side rendered. And those are server-side rendered, right? And you could actually do that. Even deploy it on. You could obviously deploy it on Vercel, but you can even now deploy it on Netlify, and like, and it will work. Is that Jamstack? You you now have most of the site is that is pre-rendered, but a couple of you know a couple of routes are are server-side rendered. So again, blurring that line a little bit. I to me that that's still generally qualifies as Jamstack. I mean, you have a couple of server-side rendered roots, but it's, it's mostly pre-rendered. So that's why I kind of say like, I like to call it static first, but not static only. Meaning like there, you're, you're not limited to like, okay, I have to pre-render everything and, and not serve up content, you know, that I, you know, not have that flexibility to meet the needs of, of more complex applications. I think if we kind of start having those debates, it gets a little silly to me.
0: Yeah. One thing that it's kind of struck me over the years as I've looked at Jamstack is that a lot of the focus, and you can tell me if I'm totally missing the boat here, but a lot of the focus seems to be on just simplifying your technology choices, right? So, and then a lot of that just boils down to not having a backend that you have to manage, right? There's always a backend, right? There's yeah, Firebase yeah. or a GraphQL server or something, right? Something that you're hitting. That's the API part of Jam but whether you throw out Jam or not, but there's something there, right? right? right yes. And, and then where it's rendered or how it's rendered or all that stuff, you know, we can argue all day about that, but yeah. But it simplifies that choice, right? Because I don't have to go write that backend. I can go use something that's out there and then I can, I can set up the rendering pieces, you know, whether it's Next.js, rendering it when I hit it first or rendering it every time I hit it or, you know, doing something else or some of these other technologies working in a similar way. Or just pulling the information out of the database and kind of doing a lot of this on the fly.
3: Yeah, it, Jamstack definitely. Jamstack developers definitely favor using services, kind of like oh, would you say like basically using tools that are are very specialized for certain things. So like so like mm-hmm. if we're doing authorization and you know right login we're going to use tools like Auth0 or Netlify Identity or whatever right because like Mm -hmm. we generally favor not building those things yourself where you have to that way you don't have the whole infrastructure in the back uh, that of the back end that I I used to develop those things years ago and I mean I remember rebuilding them repeatedly over and over again and the (laughs) the difficulties of maintaining them and, and you know and then and dealing with like, like for authorization, dealing with, with all the complexities of security for something like that. I and mean, mm-hmm. this is long before GDPR and things like, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. So we tend to favor those kind of tools for, for that. Like I, you know, I build sites using either Auth0 or Netlify Identity for, for authorization, using Algolia for search, using tools like Sanity or Contentful for my content, it simplifies things in some ways, right? Cause there is no backend that you're having to maintain in those cases. It complicates things in other senses because now I'm constantly kind of connecting to different APIs. And, and I always like to say like every every API has a, a learning curve, right? So, um, so you have to kind of constantly be adding that learning curve and and figuring out how I use that API and then how do I use that API to like okay now I've got your authorization but I want to get only get the content that you're authorized to see so now I kind of have to mesh those two together it, but it correct adds me a little bit wrong. of complexity go, yeah go but
1: correct me if i'm wrong but it's you you might say that the very existence of all these APIs is what kind of what you know, kickstarted Gemstack in a way. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, if if you're pulling APIs together, that's that's like a, a basic
3: tenet of uh, of Gemstack, isn't it? Yep, absolutely, absolutely. That's uh, you, you're you're right. Because before that, we before these kind of tools and services, we were doing just static sites. It really was a tool for building blogs and simple sites that that really didn't have much in the way of dynamic content and i've been doing this since 2013 and that's kind of where we where we were at the time i i'd say like back then the extent of dynamic content was i might pull in like discuss which would load you know like uh, basically put a widget and it would load content that was dynamic but it really what didn't it wasn't a great solution and now you have all these apis that really turn these sites where when i wrote the first book with Ray, it was, I had my list of things like, okay, what can you not do with the, should you not do with the Jamstack? And it was a fairly extensive list. It was like, it, you know, I would say it was easier to describe what you should do with the Jamstack than what you shouldn't because the list was relatively small. And then for this book, it flipped and the things you couldn't do with the Jamstack suddenly became very very few things that i'd say oh and even those i'm like well you could do it it's just is it worthwhile to do it in the jamstack or yeah exactly i was about to ask whether it's couldn't do or shouldn't do (laughs) yes exactly that becomes the that becomes a question now whereas before it was like we couldn't do it now it's like okay you can do it the question is like is that the better way to solve this problem because I, while I, I love the Jamstack and I, I'm a proponent of it, it's it's not necessarily, not every site needs to use it. Right? When
1: I was thinking about it and I was trying to think to myself when I wouldn't use Jamstack, the one thing that kind of came to my mind, and I'm, and I'm interested in your opinion on that, is that if the main content on the main page is highly dynamic, then it probably shouldn't be Jamstack.
0: Yeah, you know. Hang on just a sec, because I, I I have just a little bit of clarification on this point for Dan. Cause some of the applications that I've built, the main content on the main page is marketing copy. And so it probably will be static. But if I'm working on like an application where it it has is is meant to be interactive in specific ways, is that what you're talking about, Dan?
1: Well, I, not necessarily. I'm thinking potentially even along the lines of something like uh, like a CNN, where the the main yeah. page is, okay. is full of of highly dynamic breaking stories from all over that you kind of need to put pull together, and it literally potentially changes like every right. second. So it has to be semi real time. Or, or oh yeah, or if it's like a stock ticker, or and and a stock uh, and a stock graph, or a real time stock graph, or something like that. I don't know. It could be yeah. the gem, uh, gem stack. I mean, I, I've seen, I've seen example where people just, just to show that they could literally build a gem stack site that updated every second. But if, if the site starts getting big enough and, and, and and again, and the main page is dynamic enough, it seems that it's, again, it's, it's a question of, can you do it? Well, probably can you can, but should you do it? Well, probably no, there's a good chance that you shouldn't that that that's my right. feeling anyway.
3: Okay. Yeah. I think, I think in general, I would agree with you. I think, like you said, you could do it. If I was tackling something like, say, like a New York Times or a CNN, I mean, I'd say I'd look at, there are portions of the page that change pretty quick, pretty often. And then there are portions of the page that change with kind of throughout the day, like maybe a few times a day. So like they'll have a headline story that sits there as a headline quite a long time, but then they'll have like other top stories that kind of cycle in. So you might be able to do that where you dynamically generate the pieces that are going to stay this, I mean, sorry, statically generate those pieces that might remain the same without changing like minute by minute and then pull in the other pieces. So is it possible? Yes. Would I recommend it? I don't, it depends. I mean, some of these sites, like you said, like CNN or, or New York Times or whatever are changing just so consi- constantly, you're basically in a cycle where you never stop rebuilding, which is essentially becomes a, kind of, again, blurring the line between what's server-side rendered when, you're, when your build process is running all the time, are you just not server-side <laughs> rendering? <laughs> so, or like, for instance, if your site is primarily user-generated content, user-generated content can, like, you can deal with it, but... but you're, are you going to see the benefits of Jamstack right. when I'm when I'm mostly just loading content on the client, right? And what you're getting, what my Jamstack site, you know, portion, this the pre-rendered part is a shell that fit that fills that is filled with stuff that's pulled from the client. That that to me is like okay, it's yeah. I mean. That might technically fit the definition, but you're kind of maybe not seeing the benefits because all the stuff is being pulled on the client. You might be better off going with a different architecture.
0: Are you ready for core web vitals? Fortunately, Raygun can help. These modern performance metrics play an important role in determining the health of your website, which is why Raygun has baked them directly into their real user monitoring tools. Now you can see your core web vital scores are trending across your entire website in real time and drill into individual pages to focus your efforts on the biggest performance gains. Unlike traditional tools, Raygun surfaces real user data, not synthetic, giving you greater insights and control. Filter your score by timeframe, browser, device, geolocation, Whatever matters to you most. And what makes Raygun truly unique is the level of detail it provides so you can take action. Quickly identify and resolve front-end performance issues with full waterfall breakdowns, user session data, instance-level diagnostics of every page request, and a whole lot more. Visit Raygun.com today and take control of your core web vitals. Plans start from as little as $8 per month. That's Raygun.com
1: for your free 14-day trial. Yeah, and another thing that you might need to consider when you're really intermixing content coming down from the server and dynamic content that's uh, retrieved from the client is how to do layout, layouting both efficiently in a way that's nice from a user experience perspective. I mean, if you you need to start injecting dynamic content in in between static content, you don't want things to shift all over the place. Mm. as as you're loading the page or updating the page or whatever. Uh, yeah. they, they even have a term for it now. It's uh CLS. It's cumulative layout shift. It's one of the uh, Google's core vitals.
3: Uh, one of the things that you need to yeah. try to minimize or mitigate. Oh, yeah. I mean, but it's I, something I see not... It's not particular to Jamstack sites, right? Like, this is something I see constantly. Speaking oh, of yeah,
1: for sure. Some for sure. of
3: those new sites, I, I know on a daily basis, I'm like clicking... I. Tap my finger on on some on the story I want to read, and by the time it registers that tap, the the window has shifted, and I click on the wrong story.
1: Yeah, for more often than not, it has to do with uh, with ads, where the size of the ad is 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 yeah. just determined at uh, like page load time, and then it shifts stuff but what i was trying to say is you were giving the example of let's say a cnn uh, homepage where you you maybe bring the the top story and some of the other stories you bring them from the server but then you need to stick in between dynamic content then you need to to think about how to leave enough space as it were so that things don't need to shift around too much yeah it's, it becomes an interesting challenge let's mm-hmm. put it this way yeah yeah, no, none of these problems are simple.
3: Yeah. Uh, I do
1: have, I do have another question for you. Sure. So there's this whole concept of uh, multi-page applications and single-page applications. Mm-hmm. When I build a Gemstack site, does is it like orthogonal to that, or does it kind of necessitate one of these approaches, or is it more in line with one of the these
3: approaches?
1: Yeah. What's so, your take
3: on that? So my take is I I do both basically depending on the type of site. Like so, as an example, I run this site uh, which is it run. We do a bunch of developer events and stuff like that every every couple of weeks, and that has it has a lot of pages. But the functionality is relatively simple. It does have like login and search and and other kinds of dynamic pieces. But but the functionality didn't the UI functionality didn't require a front-end frame, in my opinion. So I didn't add one. And I use Hugo there. And that's actually, that one is not a single-page application. Hugo just generates it's more of a traditional stack site generator where it's generating a bunch of pages. And all of that dynamic functionality is just plain old JavaScript that I wrote. Whereas, like, some of the work sites I do, we do have more complex UI functionality that, we're, that would benefit from, say, React. So... So I use something like Next.js this is usually my alternative when I have to use a front-end framework I'm using Next.js and and it would be a single page application. Right. So I I think that that was part of the confusion of the jam, because I especially the leading with the J with the JavaScript. I, I met so many people who tell me, like, oh, well, because Jam stack, it requires like React, right? And it's or you know, or Vue. It's like no, no, it doesn't actually. Like in fact, tools like Hugo or Jekyll or 11 is a really popular one, even though it's JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Right, it is more traditional static site generator. They don't, they don't force a, a front end framework on you. And I think both approaches are important because a lot of I think we, okay, I'm going to make a statement that might get me in trouble. I think we over rely on on JavaScript front end frameworks in many cases and no. Reactive. yeah and so like you know so a lot of these problems could be solved without it and so tools like those are important to really some of those key benefits of jamstack cuz you talk about performance but performance isn't necessarily completely baked in you can write a jamstack application that has way too much javascript going on that in the end is actually still not very perform you know the performance is pretty lousy for the client and in fact i know because i've done that so um <laughs> uh not intentionally of course but but i've done the, these things where like you know it's loading a javascript bundle that's way too large and so it's jamstack but the performance is kind of lousy uh, and and so uh, so a few questions like follow-up questions
1: to yeah. that. Uh, so if I'm using React, for example, on the back end, or be it Vue, whatever other JavaScript uh, framework, and, and I'm using it statically, that means that I don't generate the site on demand. It's not SSR. It is static site generation. But then I'm adding the interactivity on the client side. Mm-hmm. Does it mean that I need to hydrate the entire page in these types of scenarios? Hydrate no. just portions of the page? What would be the normal architecture here? And and kind of related to that, if I'm doing a single page application and I need to implement the rendering logic for page number two, three, four on the client side because client side navigation, because page navigations in an SBA happen on the client side. Doesn't it mean that I kind of need to duplicate the page generation logic, even though I'm maybe using React on both sides, on the server side and the client side, it's not exactly the same because here it isn't SSR exactly, it's static side generation and on the client side, it's client side generation. And like you, I'm kind of confused on that. So it's, it's kind of two questions, but kind of rolled into one,
3: I guess. Okay. So let me tackle that. So you, okay. You don't need to hydrate the whole page entirely. Mostly if a lot of the times you're pulling content you're only replacing out the pieces that are dynamic, but tools like say Next.js, which has like built in, like it has the link tag, which will load that stuff. If, if it's, if it's pre-rendered already, it'll load it from the static files basically. So so it's not like it's going back to the server and getting this this data, even though it, it may only replace the content piece of your page, right? So you can you can do both. The tools are built for doing kind of allowing you to pre-generate these things without necessarily losing the benefits of pre-rendering everything. So so that would be, I guess I don't know if that answers your question, but that, but that would that would be my answer. I think if I understood your question correctly.
1: Well, when you're looking at hydration, then there are two aspects. One is, like you mentioned, going potentially having to go back and retrieve the data. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're saying, if I understand correctly, that at least some of the static site generation Next.js, for example, can actually package the data, as it were, into the HTML itself so that once you've got the HTML or you also have the data or, or at least the links to the, the data and you don't need to do some sort of uh, like and like a repeat of your database query or whatever, right? And, but and the other aspect of hydration is that you're actually having to essentially kind of re-render the entire front end in the client side in order to wire up all the interactions. Now, obviously, the fact that frameworks like uh, React have a reconciliation means that you're not actually going to update the DOM, the browser DOM itself. But if your virtual dome is big enough, then even just plain old hydration can be a non-trivial computational task. So, so that's potentially another thing that you might want to watch out for. So if a lot of the page is actually static, and like you said, only a six, relatively small part of it is actually dynamic, then in an ideal world, I would somehow automatically want to hydrate only that dynamic part and, and treat the rest of the stuff as just static HTML received from the server regardless of how it was rendered. Now, now I'm not sufficiently familiar with the various technologies, so maybe they just do it for you and, and everything is flowers and, and daisies and, and whatever, but <laughs> I'm just curious.
3: Yeah, I, I don't know that I have a great answer because they, you, I don't know the inner workings of, of next enough to know like how it handles rehydrating smaller portions of the page i do know like i i guess i i, I guess i don't have a particularly good answer to that question oh, that, i believe that's okay. i believe that <laughs> i believe that what i've done with the tools I, i'm able to hide basically hydrate only the portion of the page i need to and the performance has been great but i i couldn't tell you what's going on in the covers it's i mean particularly you think tools like like, I don't claim to fully understand React, to be honest, even though I use it. All the time, so. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody does. Maybe <laughs> Abra- more or less Dan
1: a and that's it, I think.
3: Yeah. So, yeah. So, so it may be that, that you're right. And some of the, some of it, some of the tools may end up rehydrating more than you need to or reloading portions of the DOM that, that don't need to be reloaded. But I, I can't tell you for sure.
0: We're kind of getting toward the end of our scheduled time. I do have one more question though, and this is something that you brought up before we got started. You mentioned that like Netlify had some new rendering
3: tool yeah.
0: engine thing, the, the distributed
3: persistent rendering. Yeah,
0: right. But I'm I'm going to ask a more broad question and yeah. give you like ten minutes to answer it, and that is, what big exciting things are coming with Jamstack? Because you mentioned that it's changing a lot, yeah. and so. Yeah, talk about this rendering thing with Netlify, but talk about the other kind of broader things that the Jamstack nerds that are, you know, paying attention to this area in particular are going, Oh wow. You know, and then they see the next thing and they go, Oh
3: wow. And then they're like, Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I think we did touch on a lot of them. I think some of the things we've seen is is that that particularly tools like like the Gatsby's and the Next.js and mm-hmm. NUX are, I mean, part of the problem with those tools was that they were particularly kind of slow at generating right. sites. So like you, if, you're, if you had a simple site, it was great, but then as your site got more complex, they were slow. And I think it was, it was Steve who mentioned about how the incremental builds, I think inc- we've seen dramatic improvements on those tools and how fast that they build. Then, there's, then there is things like incremental static regeneration and or DPR, which is Netlify's distributed persistent rendering, which is like being able to render pages on demand, pre-render pages on demand um, without having to build them all at once, which I think opens up Jamstack to a whole range of sites that, that it used to be kind of complicated for. Like for instance, I think Jamstack is great for e-commerce and we have a lot of really great e-commerce tools and headless, um, headless e-commerce tools that are, that make it a, a really good solution. But if you have a big product catalog generating that b- at build time would have taken, could have taken like 10, 15 minutes if p- potentially, depending on what tool you use. And that this solves that problem. And now it's like, okay, we can do this and it still works for us. So I think those things are really exciting that in you're starting to see that all that move into more a lot of this was driven by nextjs honestly those that those some of those things in particular and and you're seeing that now move into other tools like i know i've at least i've been told that nuxt for instance is going to have have things like like the incremental stack regeneration i don't know what they're going to call it if if it'll be distributed personal rendering or incremental stack regeneration i'm too much terminology honestly but That will be coming and there's a new version of Nux coming that's going to have a lot of really cool features. There's, I've seen Zach Letterman talking about 11D cloud, which I don't know what he's going to call it either, but it's, it's going to be, it's going to have a lot of those kind of things that, that allow you to have the flexibility to pre-generate things that initially at build time, generate things later to start to really think about when something needs to be rendered. Does it need mm-hmm. to be rendered right when I build it? Does it need to be, can it be rendered in initially on demand? Or does it need to be rendered on the client? Right, And I think that's one of those key things that, that's tough about moving into Jamstack is thinking about, I was used to like building server-side rendered applications and it would be, well, everything is rendered when the request is made, it gets rendered on the server and sent back. But when you get into Jamstack, it's like, especially now we're starting to say like, okay, where at which stage do we need to render this part of the page or this page in, entirely? And it's, it's, it makes it a little bit more complicated, but it makes, it makes it a much more flexible solution for a much broader set
1: of sites on the web. From my perspective, this complication is a sign of maturity. It, it yeah. means that you're, you're, you're growing to handle more diverse
3: use cases. Absolutely. 100% agree. I've made the same case.
0: Well, what's interesting, too, is that and we've seen this with a lot of these other areas of software development and with JavaScript, is that we see it kind of do this, right? So think of like the framework revolution that happened, you know, and Mm -hmm. we had like Knockout and then Angular and then, I mean, we had like a zillion of them, right? Yeah. And then things kind of came back around and kind of coalesced around a few ideas that really simplified things. And so it'll be interesting to see just where, what things we optimize for as we begin to solve some of these problems and realize, oh, there's a really elegant solution to this part of it. And now there's a really elegant solution to this piece of it. And now, okay, now if we kind of put these, this and this and this together in this framework, we come up with a really nice way to make a lot of these problems go away.
3: Yeah, that's that's a really good analogy because I think, You know, there was a period in JavaScript I remember where I felt like there was a new framework every every single every single day, and things had gotten Mm -hmm. inordinately complex. And you're like, this—it felt like this was going to go on indefinitely. We're going to kind of constantly having to learn new frameworks and new tools, and and I think we things did. Settle and coalesce around. Uh, actually, uh, uh, I situation. think
1: I think it's actually going on. It's just that we're not paying as
3: much attention anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's possible too. But to 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 Charles' larger point is, you know, I think that that we're in kind of this period where things have for Jamstack where things have gotten a little bit complex and confusing. I I will admit, I still think the benefits are worth are worth it. But I do agree. I think we're starting to kind of coalesce around some solutions to these problems, and the tooling will continue to improve, and and we will see this this become a much easier solution. Particularly, I think one of the things we struggle with is is, is getting helping people get started. It's a, it's a tough thing to jump into because there's not easy, obvious paths, and I think that we'll see that improve. I think the whole experience, particularly for new developers, will improve dramatically over the next year.
0: Yeah, that's that's true too. I, I hadn't thought as much about that, but I mean, if you're getting into front-end development, yeah, you're typically going to pick up, I mean, one of three frameworks, right? Or, right. or jQuery, I guess, because it's just kind of been around forever. But yeah, you know, you may wind up seeing the same thing with Jamstack and not just, because even within like a Next or a Gatsby or a Nuxt or a, what's the one for Angular? Scully, or some of these other ones that are out there that kind of take a different approach to it. There are different approaches to each of those in turn within them, depending on what you want to do. And so, yeah, a lot of that's going to coalesce too. Okay. Here's kind of the basic path in and now you can go down one of these roads depending on where you're headed. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. Well, if people want to, I don't know, pick up your book, do you, oh yeah, do you have a recommendation for
3: that. So yeah, so the book is out through Manning. It's it's currently I'm finishing. I I owe two more chapters and then I'm done. Ray for you know has been kind enough to actually finish his part. I'm the one who's behind. Um but, right is it, <laughs> but it's available through Manning's early access program. There, so basically, you can get all the chapters that we've written so far are available digitally. Uh, so you can purchase that. And then you get the full book, obviously, when the full book is complete. The book itself should be out this fall. And, you know, I I also do the JAMstacks newsletter, which is jams, jamstack.email. If people are into JAMstack and want to keep up with all of these changes and everything that's going on, uh, that I would, I would highly recommend subscribing to that.
0: Awesome. And we have a coupon code for that. I'm trying to find it. We'll make sure it winds up in the show notes. Where do people find you online if they want to just, yeah, uh, yeah. follow you on Twitter or whatever?
3: Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at remote synth and I had, my DMs are open and I'm always talking, not just Jamstack, but a lot of Jamstack. Um, I'm happy to answer people's questions on the topic and we're just chat about it. So feel free to reach out.
0: Awesome, and the coupon code, by the way, is podjsjabber19. And guess what year we got that coupon code at? It gives you forty percent off. Um, But yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. We have to keep, have to get you an updated code, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, if we get an updated code, I bet you'll all be able to guess what it is. Anyway, um, (laughs) exactly. Let's go ahead and do some picks. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at DevHeroesAccelerator.com. Steve, do you want to start us off with pics?
2: Yeah. See. So I'll start out with the usual uh dad jokes for the day. Thanks for for the week. Uh from my good. I've old been buddy. practicing my groan all week. Oh, good. Be ready to pull it out. <clears throat> so uh what's the difference between a camera and a foot? Uh, oh wait. A, a camera, camera has pho- a camera has photos while a foot has five toes. And then oh. Oh. <laughs> What's made I, of leather? I laughed at that, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. uh, what's made of leather and sounds like a sneeze? <laughs> a shoe. But you know, for me, that brings back memories of if anybody's ever seen the Mel. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm figuring Robin Hood Men in Tights. Uh, oh, hmm. One of yeah. the great <laughs> classic movies of all kinds. Con- Mel Brooks, yeah, there we go. But um works, yeah. you know, he's got the scene with the uh rabbi who goes around giving circumcisions two for one. But uh, there's a scene. Dave Chappelle's in there, and his name is Asneeze and his dad's name is ashu You know, and so yes. they play off that pun quite a bit too. So
1: I have to say that my favorite Mel Brooks movie by far. There are a couple. I mean, I, I love Blazing Saddles and Spaceballs. Is oh, yes. obviously is obviously great. But my favorite you passed by over far,
3: Spaceballs.
1: No, I said I said Blazing Saddles and Spaceballs. I know, but it's not your favorite. No, my <laughs> favorite Saddles. is
3: The Producers.
2: Mm. Mm. that's one the, I've never the seen the
3: original before. one I not seen not the remake Yeah there's yeah, this... I, I will admit I haven't seen that one either. I, my favorite would have been Blazing Saddles. But oh I, yeah. I seen them all.
2: Well there's this one <laughs> what's funny is that my My uh, favorite baseball My kids' uh, school they have a thing that they do at one week during the year called Candy Grams where you can you know buy a little candy thing and let us Instagram. gram. So of course the first thing that comes to my mind every time I hear that is Candy Gram for Mango. Candy Gram for Mango. <laughs> Yeah. 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 And
1: no, no, but, but yeah, no, there's also the crazy history of the world. And, and there are a of the world part of, one. Yeah. Yeah. There are a couple of great ones, but for me, it has to be the producers. And if you haven't seen it, then you owe it to yourselves. And again, I'm, I'm talking about the original one
3: with, with Gene Wilder. Uh, I'll definitely have to go see that. Yeah. I, I do love some of my old Brooks. Well, uh, Gene Wilder is amazing. Anyway,
2: so that's all I got. derailed else? Steve. Oh no, no! I just think of it as an enhanced discussion uh, more than anything. So
1: awesome! All right, Dan, what are your picks? Well, I came in with with essentially no picks, but I was kind of saved by the bell by Brian. Himself, Because in preparation for our conversation today, I was actually, uh, you know, looking through the background material and I uh, got to the Manning site and I read uh, the chapter in his book, in the upcoming book about uh, why GemStack. So first thing I learned that I was that I'm spelling GemStack wrong. So so thanks for that. Well, not spelling, capitalizing, I think would be the better term. Uh, so I learned that uh, you're you're not supposed to capitalize the A and the M anymore. So I definitely learned something, and I, I still don't know if I should be saying gemstack or the gemstack. By the way, so which is it?
3: I'll have to I'll have to address that. <laughs> I I usually <laughs> <laughs> I usually say the jam stack, but I don't think. I don't think there's a canonical way of saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, like I said in our
1: conversation before the show, I really enjoyed reading